go ahead and grab a seat. Go ahead and get started. Eat. Morning. This Sunday following Thanksgiving, it's uh, it's a joy to see all of you again uh, this morning. Hopefully, that turkey is not still sticking to your body, as Tom Phipps showed me this morning. I thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> it's good stuff. Well, I want to go back to that question because that kind of sets the the tone for today, uh, as we kind of continue in this God quest. But we come up to the final signpost being the path. And when I think about the path, you know, one of the things that really disturbs me and it, it ought to disturb you is that there are multiple ways to get to locations and we kind of take that worldview and we kind of overlay it into our faith in Christ. And we think that there are multiple ways we can either serve God or know God or follow God or, or, or maybe even be God. And somewhere hidden in that question, don't judge me is this hidden agenda. It's really code for, I'm currently making poor choices, so please don't judge me. (laughs) When you ever think about being judged, walking into a courtroom, and you see a judge, and you you may see a jury, and you see other defendant prosecution, and you kind of sit in this place, it's, it's a humbling place to be. Because it's a place where you're powerless. Every single one of us is powerless. We can't do a thing. And whatever the judge says is pretty much what goes. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I think about things happen in life and we don't really ask the right questions. We kind of get caught up in the cause and effect. We kind of think that You know, if we see something that happens, I'll articulate that the best way I understand, and I will come to a conclusion that seems to make sense, but somewhere along the line, we hear this message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's kind of that authoritative voice. You know, in first person when you're praying, and without running the risk of teaching a remedial English class, you do know what first person is, that is your voice. So when you're praying, is it kind of unusual how you hear your voice in your head? I mean, it would be really creepy if you heard someone else's voice. I mean, come on now. (laughs) 1-800-Lighthouse Counselor is standing by. All right. So when we're praying and Jesus says, you know, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I'm afraid that we hear Scripture so many times that we kind of package it in this this little box that says, I've heard that before. It has no more effect on me. It's kind of like saying, I've picked weeds in the garden enough and that should do it. Plants should just rise up. But I want to take you through this journey today. And, and without getting too exhaustive and trying to solve problems, I want to address certain areas regarding the deity of Christ. And one thing that concerns me most, particularly in these days, is that we have more zeal, so much more zeal for our political affiliation than we do for our faith in Christ. We actually think it matters to be a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative or this or that. And we don't put half that energy into studying the scriptures. And that ought to deeply bother you. Matter of fact, it ought to really tick you off. 
Because the reality is, is when Christ is speaking, he isn't speaking as some normal Joe, some normal guy that has some great ideas. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm just a regular guy. If I, many of you know, I like to relax by jumping out of perfectly good airplanes from 13,500 feet. For me, it's a relaxing experience. I pretty much know what I'm doing. Been doing it several times to the tune of almost, uh, actually, not almost, just about 3,000 times in the last 10 years. But for many of you, you would get in a plane for the first time and you'd say, first of all, this guy is crazy. But if I came to you and said, I'm the Lord of the sky, come with me because I know what's going to happen. Now, you don't need a parachute, just trust me. You'd be like, child, please. But yet we're going to survey exactly what Jesus meant when he started to make some pretty outrageous claims. The first thing I want to talk to you about is this, this baseline understanding of authority. Now, I didn't really do this by way of asking permission, so I will ask for forgiveness later. Terry, Terry Moran, one of our cherished and beloved worship leaders, talented musician, photographer, you're a husband, are you not, Terry? Last time you checked. Okay. You're also a dad too, right? Okay, show of hands. How many of you know Terry or at least know of Terry? You've seen him before. Okay, that's pretty good. If I were to say to you, Terry is a husband, how is it that you know that Terry's a husband? You've seen his wife. Okay. How do you know he's a dad? Okay, so there's a process that we take to investigate whether something is true or not. It's kind of like that parental process of vetting truth from fiction. You know, like when your kids play that game, like in one room, I can kind of hear a little something, something going on, but I will get a different version of it. The question might be positioned such as, Dad, Mom wants to go out for dinner. (laughs) Mom didn't say that, but that's what I just heard. And when I go talk to mom, and if I were to agree to this, oh, that's great, let's go. Uh, and mom gets upset because mom's actually cooking dinner and something that the kids don't want, there's a problem. <laughs> Some of you may know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, the first is this. Let's take a look at this, the exclusivity of Christ. I love this because at the end of the day, when you look at all the world's religions, we have the smorgasbord of stuff going on. And we have really this, this palette where we can pick and choose what we want to believe, how we want to believe, and where we want it to, to believe it. But the truth is, is that logic doesn't even overlay with simple things in life, such as even going up in an airplane. If I say to you, do you really need a parachute? It's really overrated. I mean, it's only nylon and stitching. I mean, who really thinks that that's going to stop your body from slamming into the earth? I mean, it's all big deal. You know, you say, uh, I really like that. But it's not enough to actually wear the gear. It's not enough to wear the gear. What good is a parachute in free fall if you can't actually land safely? So what Jesus says is, listen, I am going to base following me solely on me. And I love that because Jesus made it exclusive. There's, it's it. He's it. And let's be honest, that really rubs us the wrong way. Because at the end of the day, I have my plan. And my plan is the idea of how I've mapped things out. And if you start messing with my plan, you start messing with me. Anyone ever subscribe to that worldview? 
things just don't go your way? How about in times of tragedy and loss and we say things, well, you know, if you ever need anything. Actually, I needed something last week, but you weren't there. And the truth is, is Jesus is always providing this means for foundation. And he says here, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus claimed to be the only way to God. He is the only way. He's not one of the ways. He's not an idea of a possible way. He is the only exclusive way that you can come to know God. He basically set himself up as, you know, that's a pretty bold claim. It's like saying, I'm the only pilot in the world. (laughs) You'd all say, you're crazy. There are millions of pilots in the world. Jesus claimed he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not just the way, he's speaking the truth. He's not just speaking the truth, he is the truth, the author of it. You know, sometimes I used to think when my kids were growing up that they invented the question mark. You know, the kid to just, but why? But why? But why? And had this little niece and, you know, we were watching this old Star Wars flick and she was mesmerized by Darth Vader. And I don't know where it came, but everything was like, but why, why is he wearing a black suit? Because that's Darth Vader. But why, but why is his cape so long? Because that's Darth Vader. But why, it's like it's a never-ending saga. We're so enamored in asking questions and getting a concept, a grasp on understanding who this Jesus is and why he is and where he came from and why he is, so much so that we miss the mark. We don't even ask the right question. Some of you may remember a mildly popular book written not too long ago by one Rick Warren entitled The Purpose Driven Life. I think it sold a few copies. And uh, the, the topic, I love the question. It was, you know, what's my purpose and what on earth am I here for? That's a great question. But I petition you not to set aside that question, but there's a bigger question. The right question. What is the right question? The right question is, how far are you willing to go to know truth? Write that down. Because that'll be a part of what we talk about just a little bit here, just in a few moments. How far are you willing to go to know truth? Are you willing to lose your reputation? Are you willing to admit that you might be wrong? Maybe in some things. Hey, maybe in everything. Because when you meet God, you'll find out real quick, there are two things in life that are true. One, there's a God. And two, it ain't you. And that's a sobering thought. You know what I'm saying? One, there's a God, and two, it ain't you. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what I love about this point is when he determines who he is, you don't have to prove that Jesus did. You know, when I was active duty in the U.S. Air Force years ago, my brother, uh, who left the church and is a a Muslim, and uh, we got into this shouting match. And early in my life, this zealous, you know, Maybe you've heard of this unspoken rule. He who yells the loudest must be the rightest. Am I the only one that kind of followed that before? You know, the louder you yell, I'm the rightest, right? Well, we just got into the shouting match and it just kept going back and forth. Well, will you believe da 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 da? And it, would just, it just grew into this crazy shouting match. And the reality is, is I don't have to prove Christ's deity to you. He's proven it. You have to believe it or not. It's upon you. The burden of proof is on you to believe 
and receive. And I love what one Andrew Womack said years ago, and I use it a lot when I'm speaking in universities and high schools. He said, you know, you can either believe and receive or you can doubt and do without. You've got to decide which side you want to play on. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that's another mark of his exclusivity. He knows who he is. The second point, which is really important, is he's, he starts to talk about relationships and this whole idea of relationship. And I've been seeing these videos lately of these soldiers returning home from Afghanistan and Iraq, and, and you see these really emotional videos of, of the, the soldier showing up at the airport or maybe at a school where their, where their son or their daughter is, and, and he comes in and it's all on film, and you know the kids in just unbelievable tears, and it's such an emotional thing, and I... I just have this affinity for our servicemen and women just having been a, an Air Force veteran. And I, I, I'm kind of drawn to that. But I, I think about that relationship. The relationship, it's required that we work on it. You know, I look at failed relationships. And you know the real base core reason? Now, let's, you can talk about money and infidelity and all these other things. But the base core reason that most relationships that fail, you know why they fail? It's because of stinking hard work. It's stinking hard work. You know, you're all that when you're like 18, 20, 22, 25, 28, washboard abs, biceps, looking good, 24 karat gold smile, nice trendy clothes, 30, 32, kids, life starts wearing you down, 35, 37, start getting a little bit tired, going to bed at 8 now. Forty. Oh wow the big four oh then you start changing the rules i'm not getting old i'm really young so you start reversing the clock right doing everything you get a little tummy tuck a little injection here try to do all the things to, to kind of recapture that that before picture 45 47 48 things start to get a little bit more clear in perspective this whole idea of accumulating all this wealth and all these things are no longer your distraction. They seem to just be things. At 21, I tried to talk my wife into, you know, with our little baby. Tried to, we need a family car. I want to go out and get a Mustang GT. <laughs> Convertible, that way we can put the car seat in easier. I had all kinds of logic. She wasn't buying it. She wasn't buying it. 50, 52, 55. And you're surveying your life and you're saying, you're recognizing more and more that life truly is short. You've heard that phrase numerous times. And you recognize, I need to get my act together. And some of us are running on the performance treadmill. I would be running, but my Achilles is still sore. So I'm running on this performance treadmill because I'm trying to perform not so much for you, maybe not so much for me, but maybe because I'm trying to get God to accept me. Maybe if I just do good, and somehow I know that's broken worldview, it doesn't fit with a Christian Christ-following worldview, but still somehow it feels and it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. <laughs> so you do your little dance in front of the mirror and you, you want to feel but Jesus talks about completion through way of relationship. And he says in John 14, 7 through 9, he says, If you really knew me, and I love this, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. Now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Philip said, and I love this, Lord, 
There's always somebody who has to say this. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. So Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? We're going to take a little bit of a change right now. Now the entire vibe of this entire message is going to change. This is where I need you to pull out your your notes tab. This is really important because I'm going to give you exactly one minute and 50 seconds to identify two things. Two things, and this is really important. And there's a purpose because I don't want you to spend too much time, but I want you to give ample time. Do not walk out of here without having identified this personally. And quite frankly, you're probably going to want to cover this up because this is where things start to get a little personal. But when Jesus says he claims to be God, he claims to have authority. Not only as a creator, but one who can judge and does judge, but one who also guides and one who also comforts. Now, that's a logic that isn't shared amongst all world religions and worldviews because God is this angry, ticked off man with a gray beard and lightning bolts and ready to shock you in the backside every time you step out of line. This fearful God. But what I want to know is in this first passage here in John 14, 7, He says, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. If you listen to the question within the question, he said, if you really knew me, if you really had a relationship with me, I've been with you a long time. I can't believe you don't really know me. Because if you knew me, you would know the father. So what does that really imply? (laughs) So what's blocking your view? That's question number one. What is blocking your view of God today? Is it maybe unforgiveness? Is it that one person in your life that you remember being called a moron like it was yesterday? And you're 50 years old and you've been toting that around for half a century. Maybe someone backstabbed you or ripped you off or did you wrong somehow and you won't let it go. You pretend to. You put your hands up, Jesus, I I forgive them. I'll do unto others before they do unto me. Kind of rewrite the scriptures a little bit. But what is blocking your view of God today? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? I don't know what it is, but you need to deal with that. So write that down. And the second thing is crucially important because out of that will be birthed the ugly result of this hidden sin. What parasites exist in your world today? Okay, so do I need to get specific? I will. It's late night, nobody's looking, computer's on because you're a little bit bored. Pop up, you don't need that because you know how to cheat the system. You know a little bit too much about what to see, put it in your mind. We call it pornography, but it is the celebration of perversion. It is hurting people performing for money, and then we celebrate that and we promote it. What is that parasite that actually has your soul, has your heart, it has you divided? You know, the scriptures talk about a man being a double-minded man. One who says, I will follow Jesus into battle. Let's go. But you're going with a butter knife in hand. You aren't going to get very far. Because you talk a good talk, but in your heart you are broken and corrupt. It's the same kind of corruption that was rehearsed by the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees when Jesus said, Cursed are you, you brood of vipers. Look at you jokers. 
on the outside, you look great. You look wonderful. Look at you, great shaved beard, you know, 24 karat gold smile. The camera angles and the lighting look wonderful on you, but inside you're like dead man's bones. That's a problem. That wasn't accommodation. That was an indictment. That was a curse. So you got one minute and 50 seconds starting right now. That's perfect timing. Think long and deep about the things you may or may not have been burying in your life for so long. You've learned to cope. Just kind of manage your way around. Maybe you avoid certain circumstances because it reminds you of a specific thing that has brought about hurt or anguish or pain or suffering in your life or what you perceive to be that of pain. But nothing changes unless change takes place. The last thing any of us ever wants to do is have any obstacle blocking our direct view of God. got about 25 more seconds what's blocking your view of god and what is that parasite that is sucking the life out of you go ahead and continue here the third point is that jesus claimed to act and speak with divine authority i absolutely love this because there is a train of thought particularly in jobs and corporations and schools that if you go to school and you do well, you get a good grade. If you get a good grade, it will put you in a better position so that you can actually excel to a, a level of competence and admiration and leadership. Uh, and you acquire these skills. We often say when a person is, you know, propelled to a specific level of leadership, well, where have they learned to lead before? Well, they may not have. Where have they learned to serve before? Well, maybe they have not done that either. But they have demonstrated competencies in these certain areas. So they take on this ability to acquire skills. And then we document them on paper and we call that a resume. What I love about Jesus is that his resume was already complete long before the foundation of this world. So when he spoke, he wasn't speaking as someone who was, wow, that's really cool, that historical fact. He invented the fact. He knew it. He knew it so much more intimately than we ever would. So Matthew 7, 28 and 29, and I love this. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Do you remember when Jesus was around 12 years old and he was gone, gone into the synagogues and he was, he was speaking and teaching to the, the religious leaders and rulers of the day? And they were just amazed that this young kid could have this kind of depth and breadth of knowledge. Somewhere down the line, I can't help but think we have missed the boat in being in awe of just how awesome God is. Classic example. I say to you, how you doing? You say. Okay, that was pretty pathetic. Okay. <laughs> Someone says to you, how you're doing? We generally, most times say, good but that just isn't true all the times. We just have a robotic response. It's kind of the, the iron fence that's electrocuted, shock, you know, don't come any closer, don't really get to know me. I think that's one of the things that I love so much about this specific church. You know, there are plenty of places you can go and not know anybody. But here, come on, come on. You walk in, you see Eric in the back and he's like, yeah, baby. You see Pastor Lee, he's like, come on, give me some love now. You have to get to know people here. Otherwise, you're going to be very uncomfortable. 
When you come here, people will know your name because you know what? We generally want to know your name. We actually do care. It's not a front. If it was a front, it would wear off after a while and then you would say, oh, that's just fake. They don't really want to know me. And in some degree, we have this defense up because we don't want to be hurt or let down because the last time I shared something private with someone, they put it out on the internet. And we have all these crazy antics about stuff that gets in the way. But Jesus speaks with authority. He isn't speaking with some guy who's just figuring this out right along with you. Oh, wow, I just acquired this new knowledge. No, he is the knowledge. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He isn't one of the three, two of the three. He is all three. And if you know him, if you really have a relationship with him, then when he speaks, you'll know that he's speaking from a position of authority. I love seeing the transition with kids when they start messing around, especially when you put multiple kids in one room. And it's kind of like, okay, Bobby, come on, it's time to go. Bobby's like, no, I want to play. I want to play. All right. Bobby, it's time to go. And then the position, the statement of authority comes in. Mom said, that's all you had to say. Mom said, and it's over. All of a sudden, I'm ready to go. You know, everyone's marching out in in fine order fashion. Things happen when mom says. But when Jesus speaks, he isn't speaking as one who acquired this new knowledge that he somehow wants to woo you with it. Hey, look at me. I'm really smart. I'm really cool. Uh, Yeah, no one really cares. No, everyone cares because truth is based upon the words that he speaks. He can speak nothing but truth. So he claims in this fourth point here, Jesus claims to perform miracles. And I love this part because what he does is he backs up all of his statements of deity. uh, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, his deity about if you knew the father, then you know me. But not only that, how about you just look at the things that you actually do want to look at? He says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. And I love these six points. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Don't miss this. I love this. This is what motors me. This would be like a modern day saying, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Stevie Wonder now has a driver's license. The crippled are now being drafted into the NBA. Hospitals are now invalid. The deaf can hear in Dolby surround sound. Cemetery fences can't contain the dead. And the poor are inspiring everyone in the world. Do you not get it? How are you not jacked up about that? I mean, that's just like one of those amazing things. I mean, raising the dead, that, that isn't like a little bitty thing. When was the last time you just cruised by a cemetery and just said, everyone rise? You know, <laughs> tales from the crypt, you know, hands coming out, just... It's just, what? This doesn't happen. It's not, it might not happen. No, it never happens. The blind can see. What, is that a mistake? Oh, wait a second. Maybe that's that part of you, that cynical part of you that says, I hear you, but I'm not listening to that piece because somehow it infringes on my ability to have control. And if I have control, that's that thing I want to know that, My word is what matters. And at the end of the day, nothing we say can ever change who Christ is. Fifth point, Jesus claims that he came to replace religion with himself. Wow. This one really got him into a lot of trouble. Not that the others didn't because they certainly did. But Jesus came to replace religion with himself. You guys know what a one-up is when somebody one-ups you? You know what that, what's the purpose of a one-up? Let me ask that. What's the point? Pride? 
Show you're better than someone else. I, I absolutely love that. Instead of saying, I'm better than you, I'll just demonstrate it. But does a one-up really work in a one-on-one? It really works when you have a lot of people around, when you have a little audience, a little crowd following. You know, I worked really hard. I did well on my test. I got a B plus. <laughs> well, you know, I got an A. You know, someone always has to just make you look a little bit less important. So here's a one-up statement for you, is when sometimes we hear in our best zeal because we think, come to Christ, and then you have to do all this work, run around the world. Jesus loves you because it's not a religion, it's a... It's not a religion, it's a relationship. So we're going into salesman mode. Let me just sell you on my Jesus because it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Tell him what he's won, Bob. Behind door number three, you can for only three ninety five and four. You know, you kind of get that whole infomercial thing going on and you don't know what you're talking about, but it just feels like it's something you should be doing. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. So let's take a moment. What's the right question? What's the right question? We just take things for, for verbatim. We just, okay, it's, it's not. Uh, how do you get that relationship? Great question. What's in this relationship? Don't we vet stuff? Don't we audit it to make sure that it actually has substance? Are any of you, well, maybe not as psycho as I am on this point, but read the ingredients in any of the food that you consume? See, I, I do. And I'm always teased at staff meetings because I drink hedge clippings and all things green is what it is. But I want to know what's going into my body. But you know what? I, I, was, I was over at Walmart the other night, and this was an amazing thing, but when you buy something, you would imagine if it's apple juice, it should have... Apple juice. <laughs> but there were 12 ingredients in there, most of which I don't really pronounce because I don't use those words every day in my vernacular. Um, I saw some vegetable egg rolls, counted them, 104 ingredients. That, that's disturbing. Jesus is like, I have an ingredient, Jesus. <laughs> you got that? So there's your one-up statement. So if it's, if it's the relationship, doesn't that also imply when we go into salesman mode? What's so bad about religion? There's another good question. You need to write that one down because if you don't know what's so bad about religion, then why are we positioning it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm telling you it's a relationship, but I know that. But I know the effects and I know the core and the heartbeat of religion. But yet, James reminds us that pure and undefiled religion, undefiled, which means pure, holy, just, perfect religion is this, that you look after widows and orphans in their distress. James one twenty seven. You get a grip of that, then why are we saying that now religion is this bad thing? I mean, ladies, how many of you, show of hands, are married women in here? Okay, all right. So, 
when you went to the altar, take yourself way back to that moment. You're standing here next to your, your groom and you're about to be married and the ceremony's going on and everyone's smiling and, you know, wiping tears and all that stuff. And, and you know, you're about to go through your vows. At no time would, did you ever say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to read my message to you. I, you go through this long script of things of all the things that you don't want. What I, I really don't want a lazy dad you know, to my children. Okay, I don't want my husband to say to me at any point in time that I'm going to babysit uh, my children. Um, okay, y'all didn't get that. Um, you know, you go through these, this diatribe of stuff that goes on that you don't want. No, you actually affirm the things that you will stand for, which leaves a very solid line, a divide of what you don't stand for. Many of the times I think we hear the message, but we forget the things that are not said. Hebrews 9.27, one of my favorite passages in all scripture. This says, just as a man is destined to die once, and the version in the NKJV says, just as it is appointed for man once to die, after this comes the judgment. So after this, that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed, one, to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. He isn't, you know, Jesus doesn't need a co-redeemer. I mean, I think sometimes we're waiting around for another Jesus to come along so we can crucify him a second time and then we can kind of feel like, well, I saw him, now I can believe. He's already alive and active and available to you. But is he exclusive? Are you sharing him? I don't think, I've never seen a wedding ceremony where bride and groom and then another bride or another groom is introduced as a part of that that's just grotesque it is inconceivable and christ won't share you with anyone not even your ideas and they can be good ideas maybe you've heard god helps those who help themselves you heard that one before i heard that so many times growing up i thought that was like the word of god it's the word of not that is nowhere found in scriptures and let's just for a second vet this statement if God helps those who helps themselves, then what was the point of Christ? You hear me on that? What was the point of Christ? If God, so if I help myself, helping myself, helping myself, doing my thing, helping myself, then God will help me. Well, wait a second, I don't need Jesus then. The whole point is I can't help myself. I'm broken. I'm flawed. Regardless of how I look to you, regardless of how I see myself, I am broken. Period utterly broken and without hope without christ there is no hope and to be honest with you i love the fact that jesus loved us so much that he pinned our salvation on himself he didn't say well you know just get on out there tiger knock him out <laughs> go out there and touch a few souls in my name of course you know tell them how good i am and bring them to church and if you do that everything's good to go we love that performance model because we love to be a part of our salvation, the salvation that we can understand and comprehend. But I love this because Solomon talks about it's vanity, all vanity. It's like grasping the wind. If I said right now we're going to have a, an Olympic champion competition about, see, who can grab hold of the wind the first? We'd all look like a bunch of idiots running around trying to grab the wind. We'd be falling and tripping over ourselves. You can't grab the wind if you try to. It is a vain, utterly pathetic pursuit. 
And yet that's how we align our view of God. If we have something blocking us, we think that if I can just grab hold of something that makes me feel good inside. When was the last time you said this? I just, I just don't feel saved. Have you ever said that before? Have you ever thought it before? I just don't, I don't feel saved. Okay, so do you ever feel like taking the trash out? I mean, are you really energized about changing those Olympic stinking diapers that just smell up the entire neighborhood? They're absolutely toxic. You need a hazmat suit and all kinds of... You know, it's just grody beyond all nature. You got clothespins on and shooting yourself up with Demerol just to get through it. Yeah. Whoever feels like that, but you know you need to push through. So part of this is discipline. The other part really is just a byproduct of our faith and continuing to practice and practice and rehearse. Listen to this, and I love this, because this uh, I grew up in, in East Cleveland and you know, it was a time when, you know, I didn't grow up with my dad and, you know, I identified very closely what it meant to have a, a male role model, a male father figure, a male father, not only in the home, but who actually cared. And there's, there's two kinds of things with dads or men. And I think this is kind of that teeter-totter thing trying to get balance here is the whole idea that I'm present versus being engaged i'm there but i'm not engaged when i think in fact to have a god who is not only there who's with us but who is engaged who is actively engaged in our life is that completion and our defense is usually wrapped up in you don't know me you don't know what i've been through and we will carry that lame pathetic excuse to our grave Because somewhere we're trying to get payback for what they did to me. How you made me feel. You'll never get the satisfaction of that. Until you you submit that over to Christ. There is a balance. And in this old hymn we used to sing in my church when I was a young kid. I didn't know what it meant then, but as I grew up. But trust and obey, for there is no other way. I absolutely love that. You're talking about two components that must have balance in your life. If you trust, and it is a mathematical equation, so follow along with me in this story problem, because remember in high school when you said, I'll never have a job that I have to do math? Well, here you go. If you trust Christ, then you will obey him. That brings balance to the equation, does that not? If you do not trust christ then you will not follow christ that is an opposite but also balanced to that equation true so here's what we often do i trust christ but we don't obey him do you you see what just happened there you are out of balance it's like being you know it's one thing to be maybe ten dollars nsf in your checking account because i think everyone's had that experience at some point in their life but it's a total different thing if you know your bank says you know you're 1.3 million dollars negative in your account okay that's when you're like okay it's time to leave the country right the truth is is we are bankrupt in our soul if we trust christ then we have to obey him 
write this down in this write this one down what you value you do what you value you do i get so so tired of hearing this one i love my wife i love my wife <laughs> i chop wood bring home bear she cook <laughs> good for you man i would die for my wife i don't even think she's asking you to do that would you live for her? can we start there it's simple that's all i'm saying not bagging on my guys as much as i'm bagging on myself you can't keep saying but i've made mistakes everyone has and i don't say everyone has to dilute it down take personal responsibilities i have made mistakes i have me egypt mckee i've made many mistakes but i thank god for his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness that i don't deserve that i cannot earn ah wow there's freedom in that i receive that and the final point is this jesus claimed to determine people's eternal destiny before god jesus claimed to determine people's eternal destiny before god i think the very first verse i ever learned as a young child was john 3 16 wow and i was so accomplished that was just cool to memorize that and it took me forever i remember in my little kid mind trying to grasp that didn't have a clue what it meant but it was cool to say it for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish or to die but have everlasting life and i think you have a typo matter of fact i know you have a typo in your outline some of you says is son or something like that just go ahead and write over that so i apologize on those notes i think he gave is only son so it's a his we're talking about god here wanted to wanted to clear that up but jesus doesn't claim here just merely to determine people's eternal destiny he speaks not just as a king but as a creator and as a judge the question is in spite of me this morning have you heard enough i mean let's be honest for a second let's look at some facts you are here you are breathing you're sitting there in your seat and you're alive you've heard some things you've articulated others you've had flashbacks maybe of personal memories of things that i may have brought up and caused you to think you've written down hopefully what things are blocking your view of god what what parasites exist in your life be very careful that you're very honest about those questions because quite frankly you're the person who needs to deal with those I think far too often we want to play spiritual time cop and we're so focused on everyone else's problems. And let's be honest, you know, we've seen enough reality TV. It seems like there are some really crazy people in this world and some families that are nuclear meltdown. But the truth is, is that could be a representation of our own life. Jesus just isn't a way. He's the way. He isn't just a truth. He is the truth. He doesn't just give you inspiration. He isn't the Tony Robbins of the Middle East, uh, you know, the ancient days. He is the way. 
And he speaks not only authoritatively, it's because he is authority. He is in control. (laughs) And you know what? We can't even explain the complexity of the single cell and all of our pursuit for wisdom and knowledge, and we can't even explain the incredible, indescribable awesomeness of the single cell. I am still blown away by that study that we did not long ago. And I'll never forget that little girl sitting on that front step, and she's just talking about how blood clots. And all of our PhDs and all of our degrees and our awards in life, and we still can't touch the single cell. And God's just smiling. He's like, you guys don't even get this. This is, this is just me just messing around. But his love for you is infinite. You may be sitting here today and hurting and maybe broken and maybe you had to force yourself to be here. You're just dragging yourself in. I pray when you leave, you don't drag yourself out. We here at Lighthouse are all about relationships. That's what makes Lighthouse so... Mm. No, I don't have to use the restroom, but I'm telling you. That's what makes Lighthouse the stuff. The stuff. Just like when mom's doing her recipe and she's feeling it and she throws a little extra something, something in there. And she's just like, "Mm, oh yeah, you know, it's coming. Christ loves you beyond your understanding of what it means to do church. He wants to change your life. But the burden of proof isn't so much in what you think you understand. But do you believe? Simple. Do you believe? Bow with me, would you? As the worship team comes on up right now and we prepare to continue on in our service, while every head is bowed, I want to ask you just a question. Jesus truly is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. But... You've heard that before. Don't look around. Just take one brief moment right now and just focus on this one thing. I have a question for you. If you had the opportunity to stop running, to stop running away from God, to just stop and trust Christ, would you do it? That's really a yes or no. Would you do it? And if you would, would you do it right now? Well, Father, I'm going to just ask you right now to just fill this place. We've heard, we've listened. As we continue in worship, we trust you and we invite you into even the darkest parts and the broken places in our hearts. And I'm asking that you would be the change that we have desperately seeked and needed. We can't even articulate our brokenness. We're out of balance. Maybe we want to trust you. Maybe we don't truly trust you in all things. Maybe in some things. And we've only gotten a partial (laughs) experience of what it means to follow you and know you. We pray for your wisdom now and the courage to carry it out. We receive you as Lord, as King, as Savior. Bless us as we continue. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.